As we're in the Old Testament again, 1 Kings chapter 5 is where we're going to begin our study tonight. I want to remind you that uh, two more days of Vacation Bible School, it's been a tremendous blessing. What a, a, a blessing it is to minister to the children that have been coming. And um, you can see our decorations are still uh, here. And, um, and we got two more days, so I would ask that you just continue to pray for the kids. And uh, we're looking forward to uh, you know, finishing strong. Uh, with the children for the next couple of days. I believe they're having a great time, and uh, what a privilege it is to minister to your children and the kids that are coming here. And uh, again, we just uh, are blessed to be able to do that. So two more days, could be praying for us, and uh, it's gone by very quickly, but gone very, very well. Uh, also want to remind you that um, Saturday is the men's fishing uh, trip, and Lee is here. I believe he's out in the coffee shop. So if you're going to sign up for that, meet in the parking lot at 8 o'clock, bring a lunch. They're going to go up to Pinewood. I believe Pinewood is still open uh, because uh, the fires haven't been too far from there, but they are more north. So Pinewood should be okay, and, and a couple of guys were asking about that, but I don't think anything has changed on that. Uh, so 8 o'clock, bring a lunch. All the information is in the bulletin. Lee's out there in the coffee shop, so you can talk to him if you got any questions on Saturday, have a great time fishing. Also, Sunday morning, 8.30, 10.30, we're going to continue our verse-by-verse study in 2 Corinthians. So we'll be in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, and uh, grab a friend, bring them out to Calvary Chapel on Sunday morning. Also, I want to remind Women to Women Luncheon um, that's going to be held on Friday, June 22nd at the church here at 11.30 a.m. So uh, bring a salad or dessert. And again, Lois and Jean are here, so you can talk to them. So that's a week from this Friday, on Friday the 22nd, 11.30 here at the church. And, um, and they have a wonderful time here. So we'll be making that announcement again on Sunday and on next Wednesday. Uh, also, I think there's some other things I know that I want to announce. Oh, one thing is... Some of you have been, ask, been asking about Grace FM because it isn't on the air. And the reason that it's not on the air is because the tower is on Buckhorn Mountain. And Buckhorn Mountain is, uh, the fire has burned through Buckhorn Mountain. As far as what we know, I don't have all the definite information, is that um, you know, Buckhorn Mountain is where uh, towers are for KUNC, uh, Grace FM, some other radio stations, and it's also the uh, the main communication for Larimer County Larimer County Communications Center. So they placed a high priority in trying to save those towers because it's very important to have those towers in the communication center for the firefighters and for Larimer County Sheriff's Office and and for the county. So they placed a high priority, but that fire burned so hot and so fast. When it happens, all you can do is get out of the way and do your best. It did burn up as far as the pictures that we have seen up to the towers, but what we can see, it doesn't look like the towers were burnt or, or the, the housing of the um, transmitters or things like that. So they're hoping for the best, but there's no power up there. And that's why it isn't on uh, your car radios or in your home radios. Now you can still get Grace FM online, so you can listen to it on the computer or on your iPhone uh, app. And um, that's the way we've been listening to it lately. So 
Uh, we don't know when power is going to be restored. And uh, as soon as we find out, we'll let you know. But pray for the best. Hopefully that those towers weren't uh, damaged and um, they can just try to get power up there and try to get those stations uh, restored once again. So that's what's going on with Grace FM uh, that some of you have been asking about. And also be praying for all the victims. They have been saying, I don't know if there's any update. I haven't uh, read it tonight in tonight's news. Uh, but uh, yesterday they were saying over 100 structures that have been burnt. That number, I know, is going to go up significant. By the time they get in there and they do all the survey, and, um, and it could go up quite a bit. Um, so we want to pray for those. There are going to be those coming you know, to their homes in the next few days with nothing there and uh, burnt completely to the ground. Some people, the testimonies have been that they barely got out just with the clothes on their back because the fire burnt so fast and so hot. And uh, one fatality, we want to pray for their family, but many people lost everything. And uh, so we come in here, we're blessed. We're blessed people, but, you know, the scripture says that we, you know, share one another's burdens. Uh, we rejoice with those who rejoice. And we weep with those who weep. And so we want to lift them up in prayer. We want to pray for the firefighters. It's still a very active um, fire scene. And um, 600 men that are on uh, the front lines fighting that fire, they're starting to get a handle on some containment. Uh, but today didn't help. When you get a hot day like today and the dry winds, and the worry is, and the concern is this, is that we're only in the second week of June. And there's no moisture in the forecast for the next 10 days. Uh, is, is the long-range forecast is for a dry summer. And if we don't get some of those monsoons kicking in in July, we're going to have a long fire season because there's a lot of dead timber that is up there. So we want to keep praying and, and uh, you know, just um, giving this all to the Lord. And, and, um, and uh, we want to pray for those who, again, are on the front lines fighting those fires. New Mexico's got a couple of big fires that are going on and uh, very much a concern. I know there was um, concern today with the weather that uh, hopefully another fire doesn't start. And, uh, and I don't think there was one that started today. But uh, you get these clouds that come over with just lightning and no rain and just wind. And this one was lightning started. So long summer perhaps ahead of us. And we want to continue to pray. Um, also, um, I think that's pretty much what I want to cover tonight. So take a look at your bulletin. Everything else is in there. Events coming up. And uh, Greeley Stampede, if you want to help with the booth, we're going to have the Grace FM booth there. And that's going to start a week from Friday. Is the first day of the Greeley Stampede. Can you believe that? So summer's coming along and moving fast. And um, so why don't we do that now? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would just uh, right now be with those families that have lost uh, their possessions, have lost their homes, lost their cars, um, their horses, their, their livestock, and Lord, coming back to ashes. And so, Father, we pray that, um, that you bring comfort to them and strength. And Lord, that um, there be people there to, to be able to minister to them. And so many that are going to go back, so many right now wondering if their homes are standing. And Lord, I just pray that you would work and draw everyone that has been affected by this fire close to yourself. And Lord, we know that the land is dry right now, and the forests are very dry. And Lord, we know that, um, that there's no rain in the forecast. 
And so we pray for moisture. And we pray for the rains that come upon our land. And Lord, that um, there is that concern. And, and so, Lord, we just lift it up to you. And we pray that the rains would come. We pray for all the first responders and, and the firefighters that are there and the long nights and the days and the rough terrain. And we pray for their safety and we thank you for them and, and the way that they minister and doing good and fighting those, those fires and trying to save homes. And Lord, they may have a long summer, so we pray for their safety. And Lord, we do pray that um, you just be, again, with all those that have decisions to make and uh, are affected by this and the, the leaders of the community and, and the Larimer County Sheriff and uh, the governor and all those involved in the, the, the feds that are there. Um, Lord, that um, they would use wisdom and discernment and what they have to do. And Lord, we also, we just pray for um, us here that as we continue to minister to the children this week that we thank you for these young people that are here these young ones and the privilege to be able to minister to them and your word says that not to keep the children from coming to you and so Lord the next two days may we just teach them about Jesus and his love for them and Lord may they just respond to it and have that truth in their hearts when they leave here this week and Lord, I thank you for all those who have helped and they're willing to serve the kids and to love them and to minister to them. So many have come along, the youth group and um, Lord, the, the young adults and, and the, the, all the way up to, to our older adults here ministering to the children. To see the body of Christ working in that way is such a blessing. So I thank you for this church and, and pouring out their love and service to those children and continuing to do that. And Lord, I pray that you would bless them even tonight as they're meeting in their classrooms. And I thank you for those who are there tonight ministering to them and, and upstairs with the high school group and the junior high group with Jerry and Eileen. And Lord, we just thank you for each one of these young people. We pray that they would just know of your love and Lord, how you desire to do a marvelous work in their lives. Lord, right now, we want to study your word. We pray that we would make application. Bless this time. Lord, may we be attentive. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. And so we see that Solomon here has been on the throne. And he's established, he's set up his leadership, as we saw last week in chapter 4. And you recall that Solomon's father, David, that when David was beginning to defeat his enemies all around him, David was a mighty warrior. And we know from 2 Samuel chapter 7 that it was David's desire to build the temple. And it was Nathan the prophet that came to David and said, David, you're not going to build the temple because your hands are bloody and you are a man of war. And so it's going to be your son Solomon who's going to be a, a man of peace that's going to build the temple. Because you see, as we read in 2 Samuel as we went through that book, that David was fighting those wars. He was fighting the Philistines. He was fighting the nations on the east side of the Jordan River. He was fighting the Syrians. And so he was a warrior, and those men were with him, and they were used on the front lines. And so that's what was taking place during David's reign. And 
the Lord said, David, your son is going to build the temple, but David, I'm going to establish your throne, and upon your throne is going to sit the Messiah. So that covenant was made with David, as we read in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And so now with the death of David that we saw at the beginning of 1 Kings, Solomon being established as the king, now he's going to, in chapter 5, prepare to build the temple. And then in chapter 6, he's actually going to, as we're going to see the process of him building the temple. It's going to be a magnificent temple. Now a little bit of background, and I know that a lot of you probably know this as you've studied the scripture, but there are four temples that are mentioned in the scripture, four different temples. This is the first temple that was built in Jerusalem. And you recall that David would take Jerusalem, it was uh, inhabited by the Jebusites, and he would uh, defeat the Jebusites. Jerusalem would become that place of, of worship, the city of David. And D the city of David was just south of Mount Moriah, where Jerusalem would be established. But with Solomon here in the kingdom growing, the, the city of Jerusalem would encompass the city of David. And it was there on Mount Moriah that the temple is going to be built as David would buy that threshing floor uh, from the Jebusite. And that's where the sacrifice was. So that's where the temple is going to be. And Solomon building the temple, we're going to see that it's a magnificent temple overlaid with gold. The floors are going to be overlaid with, with gold. It's going to be a huge project that we're going to read about here in just a few minutes, and it was magnificent. That temple, as it's about 970 BC, would stand for about 400 years before it was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians as they came into Jerusalem and they leveled Jerusalem, destroyed Solomon's temple. Then, after the 70 years of captivity, we know that Zerubbabel would come back and Zerubbabel would rebuild the temple. It was a modest building. It wasn't as grand as Solomon's temple, but the Lord honored it. And Zerubbabel's temple, that would be completed in about you know, a little over 500 um, uh, BC. And that temple would stand for almost 500 years until Herod the Great, right before the birth of Jesus, Herod the Great, you recall in the Gospel narratives, was ruling over Judea at the time of the birth of Jesus. But a few years before Jesus' birth, he began a remodeling project of Zerubbabel's temple. And what he did is he expanded the temple platform and he began to, to remodify it, made all these outer chambers and outer courts that were huge. And it became a magnificent, magnificent building. He overlaid it with gold. That's why Herod was called Herod the Great, because he was a great builder. And it became one of the uh, wonders of the ancient world as far as, as buildings. And that temple would be known as Herod's temple. It was the second temple. And of course, you know from your history that it was Titus and the Roman legions that surrounded Jerusalem in uh, 70 AD. And they came in and destroyed Jerusalem. Once again, the city is leveled. And then the temple would be destroyed as Jesus said that the time would come where not one stone would be upon another. And they ripped that temple apart, stone by stone, clear down to the foundation. And so the second temple was destroyed. So for the last 2,000 years, there has not been a temple in Jerusalem. And it's interesting that when Israel became a nation once again in 1948, and then after the Six-Day War in 1967, when the Israeli Defense Forces took over East Jerusalem, captured the 
Temple Mount area for the very first time since 586 BC, they had ruled over Jerusalem sovereignty. And, and sovereignly, they, they ruled over the Temple Mount area. And people were saying, we're going to be able to rebuild our temple once again. And those who long for another temple to be built, but because of the political situation and some of the treaties that they've made, um, it is really occupied and it, it is controlled by the Muslims there on top of the Temple Mount where Solomon's temple was and Herod's temple was. So they're still waiting for that time for the temple to be rebuilt. Now, you recall in our Revelation study not long ago that we did that there is going to be a third temple that's going to be built called the Tribulation Temple. And when the Antichrist comes on the scene, as Daniel chapter 9, verse 27 tells us, that he will confirm a covenant with Israel for a week that will allow them to rebuild the temple. And if you go to Israel today, and when we take our trips uh, to Israel like we did last summer, one of the things that we do is we go to a place called the Temple Institute where they have all the furnishings that are ready to go and the priestly garments and, and everything's ready to start the sacrifices and the offerings. All they need is a building. Matter of fact, to start the sacrifices, they told us they don't even need a building. They just need the go-ahead to go ahead and, and begin to do that. So the third temple will be built. It is called the Tribulation Temple because halfway in the Tribulation period, as we did and read in our Revelation study, is that the Antichrist is going to go into that temple and desecrate the temple, set up an image of himself. It's called the Abomination of Desolation. And you recall in Matthew chapter 24 that Jesus said, when you see that, as the prophet Daniel spoke of, then you need to flee because there's going to be great tribulation tribulation as such the world has never seen or ever will see. The tribulation temple will be destroyed and then there's going to be a fourth temple, the millennial temple, that will be standing in the millennium reign of Jesus Christ. You read about that in Ezekiel's prophecy starting at about chapter 40 of Ezekiel to the end of the book. So four temples are spoken of as you read the scriptures and I just wanted to give you a little bit of background on that so you're not confused. So this is the first temple that is built and so Solomon prepares to build the temple as we read in verse 1. Now Hiram king of Tyre sent his servants to Solomon because he heard that they had anointed him king in place of his father for Hiram had always loved David and then Solomon sent to Hiram saying verse 3, you know how my father David could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the wars which were fought against him on every side until the Lord put his foes under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor evil occurrence. And behold, I propose to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord spoke to my father David, saying, Your son whom I will set on the throne of your place he shall build the house for my name. And now therefore command that they cut down cedars for me from Lebanon, and my servants will be with your servants, and I will pay you wages for your servants according to whatever you say, for you know that there is none among us who has skill to cut timber, timber like the Sidonians. And then in verse 7, So it was when Hiram heard the words of Solomon that he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord this day, for he has given David a wise son over this great people. And so here is David. He was a mighty warrior that defeated his enemies all around him, but not every nation was his enemy. And David was wise that he defeated his enemies that he threatened, um, that threatened him and threatened Israel, but he was also wise in that he made alliances and he made friendships with neighboring nations as well. 
And now this alliance that he had made with Hiram there in Tyre, which is today Lebanon, up north of, of, of Jerusalem. We know that as David made a covenant with Hiram, um, that it's going to benefit Solomon in the building of the temple. Matter of fact, in 2 Samuel chapter 5, you might recall that Hiram had sent carpenters and cedar trees um, and masons to build David's mansion. And up in Lebanon, if you go there today uh, in the northern part of Israel and then up into Lebanon, they have beautiful cedar trees and cypress trees uh, that are big and large. It's kind of like we have cedar trees and cypress trees up in the Pacific Northwest if you go up there. And I go up to northern Idaho once in a while to see family up there, and the trees are huge. They're, they're a lot bigger than you know, the lodgepole pine than what we have here in Colorado. But the cypress trees were available, and they were known for their masonry work. They were known for uh, being good carpenters. And so this is going to benefit Solomon in the building of the temple. And so he makes a treaty, makes a covenant here with Hiram, the king of Tyre. And we read here that in verse 3, I want to draw attention to verse 3 once again, that here is Solomon writing this letter, and he says to Hiram, you know how my father David could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God, because it was wars on every side. All the men were busy fighting wars until the Lord put his foes under the soles of his feet. And, but that catches my attention. David, that he told Hiram about how the, he wanted to build a temple for God. And it shows us, you know how my father David told you these things, that I believe that David witnessed to Hiram. And he told Hiram about the things of God and the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God. And I believe that David was a light and desired to be a light to those other nations, and he certainly was to Hiram. You see, what had happened over the history of the Jews, God wanted them to be a light to the other nations. And he desired for them to be a witness to those nations. When they saw how he blessed them and how they were run by the law that he given to them, the civil laws and the religious laws, and even the temple that was to be built was to be a light to those nations. It was to be a witness to those nations of the goodness of God. And, and those nations were to see that and then have a desire to know the true God of Israel. And here is David being a light to harm. But what had happened over their history, and you can see it very evident as you move into the Gospels in the second temple uh, period, is that the Jews saw the Gentiles as nothing good but the fuel of fires of hell. And you recall that when Paul, the apostle, there in Acts chapter 21, he was in Jerusalem and there was a rumor that began to spread across Jerusalem that, hey, Paul's taking Gentiles into the temple. So all the men of the city rushed to the temple. They grabbed Paul. They were going to rip him apart. And the Roman soldiers had to come and rescue Paul. And they took Paul up on the Antonio Fortress that was built as the Roman soldiers would be able to look over the courtyards of the temple proper because they would have these feasts and lots of people. And so it was a way for them to be able to watch the people. They took Paul up there and Paul asked to address uh, his brethren. They said, go ahead. And Paul began to give his testimony. And you recall in Acts chapter 20, when he, when he said that God has sent me to the Gentiles, what happened? Boy, they began to ride, didn't they? And they were throwing dust in the air and they were tearing their clothes and they were yelling and they were screaming because that's the attitude that they had had. And God wanted them to be a witness to the other nations. 
You remember that when Jesus went into the temple during the feast and he overturned the money changers' tables and he drove out those who bought and sold animals? And what did he say when he rebuked those religious leaders? He said that you have made my father's house, which is a house of prayer to all nations, into a den of thieves. You see, something interesting was happening at that time. What would happen is during the Feast of Passover, not only were the Jews pouring into the city as they would bring the Passover lambs, and you see what would happen is they would go to the temple and the priest had to inspect the lamb according to the Old Testament law to make sure that it didn't have any spot or blemish. And what they would do, if you brought a lamb, oftentimes the priest would say, ah, there's a little blemish here, there's a little spot here, but you can't use this lamb as a sacrifice. But over here, we have some pre-approved lambs, and they were selling them at a very high price. They were ripping the people off. Also, what was happening is people were coming from all over the known empire. It was hard to travel with the lamb. You know, to bring an animal because the animal would break a leg or defeat it or, you know, get attacked by wild dogs or whatever uh, danger that it would have. So people would oftentimes just go and buy a sacrifice. And so the priests were making money. And then also you couldn't bring your Gentile money, Roman money, to the temple. You had to exchange it for temple, you know, coinage. And so here were the priests making all this money. They were ripping the people off and Jesus saw it. But you see, not only were the Jews coming into Jerusalem during that time, but also the Gentiles. Because you see, many of the Greeks at that time, they believed that greater the temple, greater the God. And we're going to go to Jerusalem, we're going to see how great this God is. And we're going to see it at the dedication of this temple, the first temple, that Solomon is going to talk about the foreigner who comes and prays that they may know the Lord, that truly that he is Lord. And that was the desire of the Lord that those who would come from all the nations would come and know that this was a house of prayer. And here they were coming, and all they were seeing was, you know, all this stuff that was going on at the temple that wasn't good, the priests ripping off their own people and things like that. You recall that it was in John chapter 12 that the Greeks came and they said, we wish to see Jesus. You know what my prayer is? that you and I would be a light to others, that we want them to see Jesus. We want them to know him and his love for them. And we want to be light to them. And that's what David was being to Hiram. And so he told him about the Lord. And in verse 7, as here as Solomon is asking for these, these trees, you know, from, from uh, up north uh, to be used for the building of the temple, in verse 7, so it was when Hiram heard the words of Solomon as we read, they rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord this day, for he has given David a wise son over his great people. Was Hiram saved? We don't know for sure what his heart was, but he sure responds positively. And he says, Blessed be the Lord this day, and a great people that they are. I wouldn't be surprised if he was saved. And we know that uh, in verse 8, so Hiram sent to Solomon, saying, I have considered the message which you've sent me, and I will do all that you desire concerning the sea and cypress logs and my servant shall bring them down from Lebanon to the sea I will float them in rafts by sea to the place you indicate to me and will have them broken apart there and then you can take them away and you shall fulfill my desire by giving food for my household and then Hiram gave Solomon cedar and cypress logs according to all his desire so here is 
uh, Hiram, and he, what he would do is they would cut the trees down, take them to the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. They would float them on rafts about 50 miles to Joppa. Joppa was the port city there in Israel, and then they would take those logs and have to go another 40 miles from the you know, sea level up to Jerusalem, which is about 3,000 feet. So everywhere that you go, any place from north, south, east, or west, you go up to Jerusalem. That's why you see it in that term in the Bible. It's always up to Jerusalem because it speaks not only geographically going up to Jerusalem. If you go from the east, you're going from the Dead Sea, which is 1,300 feet below sea level, up to Jerusalem. If you go from the south, you're going up to Jerusalem geographically. Same with the west and from the north. And also it speaks of that Jerusalem was the place of center of worship. So it speaks of up to Jerusalem as well spiritually. And so here would be this great project of taking these logs down the Mediterranean and then over to Jerusalem from the coast. And we're going to see the workforce in doing that. But we read, first of all, in verse 11, And so Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 cores of wheat as food for his household and 20 cores of pressed oil. Thus Solomon gave to Hiram year by year. So about 130,000 bushels of wheat for Hiram uh, in his nation, for his people, and about 1,500 gallons of olive oil every single year was his provision. In verse 12, so the Lord gave Solomon wisdom, and he had promised him, and there was peace between Hiram and Solomon, and the two of them made a treaty together. Now, one of the things that we know that not only was there four temples that were spoken of, in the scriptures, but also remember in the wilderness, there was the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was a very simple structure. It was a tent-like structure that had the two rooms that was the inner sanctuary, or that is the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, and that's where the Shekinah glory was. That's where the pillar of cloud would hang over, you know, the, the tabernacle that was set in the middle of the camp. The children of Israel that camped all around the tabernacle. And we know that when the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire, you know, by night, when it moved in the children of Israel, they would fold up the tabernacle and they would move the tabernacle. So the tabernacle was used in the wilderness wandering for the 40 years. And then as we see the children of Israel come into the promised land, then the tabernacle would be at Shiloh for a few hundred years. And then uh, later on, it would be moved near Jerusalem at this time, as we read uh, last week. But here's the tabernacle. The tabernacle ministry, it's, it's done with. And now the temple being built, this temple is going to be much, much bigger. But as we went through the book of Exodus and as we looked at the tabernacle, we saw how it spoke of Jesus and, and how it pointed to Jesus and the furnishings, like the menorah that was the source of light. And Jesus, he's what? The light of the world. And, and the shoe bread table with the 12 loaves of bread representing the 12 tribes of Israel. But it also speaks of how Jesus is the bread of life, right? So we went through all that. But as I think about the temple here, here is Solomon. He makes a treaty with Hiram. And here are these Gentiles that are helping in building the house of the Lord. And then we're going to see a huge workforce that's going to be used as well in building the temple here in just a few minutes. And the temple... Is is a magnificent structure that we'll read about here, but there's a fifth temple that has been built as well over the last 2,000 years, and that is the church, right? And you know that how Peter, he writes about how we are a royal priesthood and, and how we are, um, you know, uh, uh, 
the Lord is using us living stones. They're being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So what Peter says that you and I, that we are living stones coming together to make the temple of God. We also know that the writer of Hebrews, as he is writing to those Hebrew believers in the first century, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6, said, But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are. In other words, with the writer of Hebrews, if it was Paul the Apostle, we don't know for sure, but what he was trying to get those Hebrew believers to realize is this, is that I know that you guys have a temptation to go back to Judaism. And that's why the book of Hebrews was written, to show that Jesus is superior, that he is your only salvation, that he has a superior priesthood, he's superior over any other religious leader, he's superior over the angels, that he ministers in a superior tabernacle or temple, that is a heavenly temple, and that he has a superior priesthood, that he is your salvation. And don't go back to that which cannot save you. And he is your sacrifice once and for all for the forgiveness of sin. Because the sacrifices of the bulls and goats that went on for 1,500 years was not enough to bring forgiveness of sin. It only covered, kofar in the Hebrew, your sins until Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, came and he died for sin once and for all. You see that phrase throughout the book of Hebrews. Once and for all, once and for all, once and for all, Jesus died for your sins. So why do you want to go back? The temptation was they missed Judaism. They were being, you know, ostracized by their families. They were being persecuted by their brethren as they were coming out of Judaism to Christianity. They were meeting in small homes and they would be on the hillsides of Jerusalem looking at that magnificent temple, the building and, and overlaid with gold and the people coming for the feast and the trumpets blowing and the sacrifices and the festivals and the feasts and the celebrations. And I thought, oh, if we maybe we should go back to that. And the writer of Hebrews says, don't. And know this, that God is building a superior temple, and that is you guys, a living temple. And you see, one of the great challenges in the early church was, is that Paul the apostle, as you read, and he writes it in the book of Ephesians, he wanted those Gentile believers, as well as the Jewish believers, to realize that God is doing a new work here and bringing us together in what is called the body of Christ, but we are the temple of God, and it's made up of Jew and Gentiles. And so he's writing in Ephesians, as you read in the book of Ephesians, and I'll read it to you in chapter 2, verse 19, as he says to them, you guys are a part of this temple, you Gentiles. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. In other words, that God's doing a new work in this new covenant, bringing Gentile and Jew alike into this holy temple in the Lord. You guys are no longer strangers and foreigners. And so there was that kind of division, and, and Paul was trying to bring them together. The, the Gentiles were saying of the, the Jewish believers, oh, they're just full of tradition and legalism and all of this. And the Jewish believers were saying of the Gentiles, they were struggling with legalism, and you know, they have no tradition, and, and uh, we're of the covenant people. And, and so here is Paul 
is they're now one in Christ, bringing them together, saying, you're no longer strangers and foreigners. You're coming together, and your living stones, Peter would say, being fitted together into this holy habitation. And you and I are part of that temple being built over the last 2,000 years. And it's a magnificent thing that God has done. It is more glorious than Solomon's temple or Herod's temple, any temple that's going to be built. Is this temple the body of Christ? Jew and Gentile being brought together. So here it reminds us of this as here Solomon makes this, this, this treaty and as he is um, bringing in uh, Hiram and, and those uh, that are um, you know, a part of this building project that is massive. Let's read about it as we read in, in uh, verse 13. Then King Solomon raised up a labor force out of all Israel, and the labor force was 30,000 men. And he sent them to Lebanon, 10,000 a month in shifts. They were one month in Lebanon, two months at home. Adroniram was in charge of the labor force. So uh, these guys uh, that were going up to Lebanon, 30,000 men, and they would work for one month and to get two months off. Sounds like a pretty good schedule to me. So here they were working in shifts, 10,000 at a time. And then look at verse 15. Solomon had 70,000 who carried burdens, 80,000 who quartered stones in the mountains, beside 3,300 from the chiefs of Solomon's deputies who supervised the people who labored in the work. Here you're talking about this huge workforce, aren't we? Not only 30,000 men that are being used to go up to Lebanon in shifts, but you've got 80,000 that are in the quarries there that are making the stones. What we're going to read next time, next week, is what they did was, as they made the stones, that they did all the hammering and the chiseling at the quarry. The quarry, known as Solomon's Quarries, you can go there today. And as you stand on the Mount of Olives and you look at Jerusalem, you're looking at Mount Moriah. That's really a hill. It's just kind of a hill that goes up. You can see a picture of it in the coffee shop. And what Solomon is doing is he cut into the mountain to build the temple. But on top of that mountain, Mount Moriah, that was the Solomon's quarries where they would cut the stones and they would make huge stones that we're going to see in large stones. And they did all the hammering and all the chiseling up there on the mountain. And they had all these guys working in the quarry, 80,000 of them, and then another uh, 70,000 who carried the burdens and also would help with the timber, bring those stones down the mountain. And there was not the sound of a hammer or a chisel, as we're going to read in the next chapter, at the temple site itself. All those stones fit perfectly together. Absolutely amazing. We know that as it's going to talk as we finish the chapter here of quality stones and costly stones, that in Herod's time, he made Herod stones that, that again, they, they made these stones so perfect, some of the foundational stones are as big as this back wall. And engineers still don't know how they got those stones in place and how the stones fit perfectly together to where it's like a hairline fracture, no mortar, between the stones. And that's the way it was in Solomon's time. And you have this huge workforce, 70,000. I mean, picture it. And maybe my mind goes a little bit wild. I think, what it would have been like nearly 3,000 years ago to see, you know, 80,000 there 
um, that are in the quarries, chiseling, hammering away, 70,000. They're helping bring these stones. 3,300 supervisors. I know some of you guys have been maybe perhaps on some pretty big construction you know, projects and stuff, but this big? This is huge for seven years. And another 30,000 in shifts bringing in all this, all the activity, all the building that's going on, how glorious it must have been. But as I think about this, I think we can make application. Because you see, in this temple that the Lord is building today, made up of living stones, the Lord desires to use laborers to continue in building of this temple. And you see, he's looking for those who are going to carry the burdens. And I think that speaks of those who are willing to pray. Those who are willing to pray for those who are lost. And what my hope in prayer is for this church, Calvary Chapel, that we would have a heart for the lost. You remember that Jesus said up in the Galilee region that he said that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I really believe in the days in which we're living in, folks, that the harvest is plentiful. I think people are looking for truth. And I think people are seeing the craziness and how mixed up and messed up this world really is. And they're desiring to hear truth and to know truth because there are so many voices out there that, of confusion and weirdness, and we have the truth of the gospel to give to people, and we can be a light to others. And it starts with prayer. Are you willing to pray for your lost neighbors, for lost family members, for lost co-workers? To carry the burdens. May we pray for this community. May we pray that Grace FM gets back on the air because, you know, people are calling saying, hey, we're listening and we love it so much as the gospel and the word of God goes across the airways. As, as you and I, as we go into the places of work and school and, and neighborhoods and as we're witnessing others, but it begins with prayer, praying for those that we are linked to, that Lord, you open up their eyes and take the blindness away from them that they can see the light and understand the gospel and receive it, that you touch their hearts. So carrying the burdens. But also we have those who were there in the quarries that were chiseling and hammering, doing the work and, and, and hard work. And what a blessing it is to be able to be a part of the body of Christ, rolling up our sleeves and just serving. And that's what has blessed me again this week. So many that have been able to come out this week and help and minister to the kids. But you see, it doesn't just happen during the week of Vacation Bible School. It happens every week here at Calvary Chapel. So many are serving and being a blessing, but there's so much more that can be done, so much ministry that can take place. And I want to encourage you that you have opportunities to serve the Lord, to, to be a part of that, wherever that the Lord has placed you and how he's gifted you and opportunities that you might have how you're able to do that and, and, and what that might mean for you as the Lord leads you and guides you. But you can be a part of this, this work that the Lord is doing. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And praying for people and doing the work of the ministry to be able to, to love these kids, not only during vacation Bible school, but maybe the Lord might put on your heart that, you know, I can help with the kids once a month. I can be a helper. I can hand out papers. I, I can be a support to, to the teachers. Uh, I, I can help in the coffee shop. I would love to see the coffee shop 
man and, and, and have people serving in a coffee shop, giving people cups of coffee and, and on Wednesday nights. Uh, I'd love to see just more ministry taking place that we are here to edify and encourage and bless one another, just doing practical things, blessing one another in those simple things, making meals for those who need meals that are down and out, maybe perhaps having surgery. We've had so many new moms that have had new babies and we got more that are having babies. And what a blessing it is when we're able to bring meals to them as they're able to just rest and be with their new newborn and, and um, just rest and not have to worry about making meals for their family. There's so many things to do. And I hope that you would pray about how you would be able to get involved inside these four walls and outside these four walls. But also there was 3,300 supervisors, wasn't there? And I believe that God desires to continue to raise up leaders, those who are going to be leading and ministering. Maybe perhaps you're leading in, in a small group, maybe leading in a home fellowship or a Bible study of some sort, maybe doing a discipleship. That's one of the reasons why we've emphasized the discipleship so much here at Calvary Chapel over this last year, but just getting together with with one-on-one and and discipling people, having people grow and investing in them. And if you ever want to do that, I would encourage you to talk to me or Pastor Jim and discipleship and coming in and, and getting grounded in the Word of God and going through a discipleship program that we've been able to do and 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 to grow in God's word. And as you grow in God's word, you're going to grow in faith because faith comes by hearing and what? Hearing by the word of God, Romans chapter 10. And not only does it produce strong church spiritually and discipleships because you see, I think one of the things that's really lacking in churches today is just that. And people growing, first of all, in the word of God and then just discipleship that takes place, encouraging others. You know, women discipling the older women, the younger women, as Paul told Timothy. And the older men, the more mature men, discipling the younger men, that we would be ones that we invest in our young people. We've got to do that. You know how many people I talk to that they go and visit churches, and some of the churches that they visit, there's no young people there. And you know why? Because they didn't invest in their young people, and those churches are going to die. They're going to die. Because there's no more young people that are there. And our future leaders are going to come from our young people, and we're going to invest in them, and we're going to encourage them, and we're going to love them. And we're going to establish them in the Word of God. And we're going to continue to pray about that. And that's what we're going to do. And sometimes I've talked to pastors that said, well, I don't know if we should do that because, you know, what if people start leaving? I don't think that's anything to fear. Because if your children come and your grandchildren come and they're getting saved, aren't you going to rejoice in that? Amen. Amen. We're going to rejoice in that. And encourage them for service to the Lord and ministering, and, and, and then they will be able to minister to the next generation. That has to happen, or the church will die. And you see, here we see the work that has taken place. Those who carry the burdens, I think we can all pray, can't we? And we can pray for this church, and we can pray for the people, and we can pray for our young people, and for our children, the children that are here at Vacation Bible School, because one of the things that I've learned, they grow up awfully fast. And it's wonderful. You know what's been a blessing 
for me, and just kind of a personal note, a couple of weeks ago to see my nephew here leading worship. What blesses me to see my other nephew that is upstairs, that is leading the youth group from Calvary Chapel Eagle that is here helping with, you know, the vacation Bible school. That blesses me. That blesses my family. And I know that you would love nothing more than to see your nephews and your nieces and your grandchildren that are on fire for the Lord and serving the Lord. And that's what we want to do. We want to pray for our young people. And we want to invest in them and tell them that we love them and Jesus loves them because we're losing a generation to the world out there that is deceiving them and lying to them. And they're getting sucked into the enemy's deception and lies. And we are able to be a blessing to them. So here's the work of the temple that has taken place. And one more point I want to make as we finish so here were all these, verse 17, and the kings commanded them to quarry large stones, costly stones, hewn stones, to lay the foundation of the temple. So Solomon's buildings, Hiram's builders, and the Gebelites, that is those up in Lebanon, quarried them, and they prepared timber and stones to build the temple. When it says costly stones, it has the meaning here in the Hebrew of very valuable stones. You as a living stone, I want you to know this, that you are valuable to God. You're valuable to Jesus. And sometimes we can go through life and we think, oh, you know, Lord must be so disappointed with me. He must not think very highly of me. You know, I must be one that I fall so short of what God wants me to be. I want you to know something, that you are very, very valuable to Jesus. Do you know that? And Jesus, he came along in Matthew chapter 13, and he said, the kingdom of God is like a man who found a treasure in the field, and he gave all that he had to buy the field to take the treasure out. And you see, in that parable, the man who gave up everything was Jesus. He came to this world, and he laid down his life to go to the cross to redeem the world, and the field represents the world. And he didn't do it to get another planet. He did it to take the treasure out. And the treasure is you so that you can spend eternity with him. So I pray that you would never buy into the lie of the enemy or anyone who comes along and says, you're not valuable to the Lord. You are costly and valuable. You see, the Lord gave up everything. He gave everything, his own life. And he went freely to the cross and died for you, for your sins. Because he wants you to spend eternity with him and he wants to bless your life now. You are valuable to him. Don't let anybody else ever tell you anything different. He loves you so much. He loves you just the way you are. But listen, he loves you too much to leave you where you are. And he wants to continue to do a marvelous work by the Holy Spirit in your life. And you are useful and you are valuable. And God wants to bless your life with joy and peace and give you real purpose in life. It is such a joy to live for the Lord, to live for Him. And that's what we're teaching the kids. Run your race with endurance for the prize that is set before you. As Paul would write to the Corinthians, but run with endurance and set aside every weight of sin that entangles us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You keep looking to Jesus and you keep running your race. Run to win the prize. Because one day we're all going to stand before the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ. And what my prayer is that each and every one of us, that we would hear those words of our Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the way to run. 
and at the end of our life, whatever that might mean for us, and whenever that happens, that we can say, as Paul said, that I fought the good fight, that, that I've kept the faith, and I've what? Finished my race. And finish your race with joy. So run, folks. Run. That's what we're teaching your kids. You keep running to win the prize. And one of the little things, one of the things I'm going to do, you have start and you have finish over here, that when I teach the kids on Friday is I'm going to have them run a race and i got a little prize for them. And to know that, you know what, the Lord's going to reward you. And they may not understand that fully yet, you know, their little age, but we'll try to make it to where they understand that there's a race to run. Each one of you has a race to run. And as we talked about last Sunday, you stay within your lane. Don't run in somebody else's lane. That's what Paul was saying to the Corinthians. We don't go beyond our limit of sphere, but our, our sphere includes you, Corinthians, and bringing the gospel to you. And there's a sphere that you have a lane for you to run in, to bring the gospel to neighbors and family members, to, you know, those you go to school with, to those that are in your family that don't know Christ. And may you just run and keep your eyes on Jesus, and may you live for him because he's building a marvelous temple, living stones being fitted together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time that we've had in your word, and I pray that, um, that Lord, that tonight as we come and we look at this temple, that we make application, that, Lord, that you've put us together, a temple that's been built for 2,000 years, and we thank you that we're a part of that, valuable to you, being fitted together, and Lord, as you build this temple, you desire for there to be laborers. And Lord, you gift us differently and give us different opportunities. We're at different stages of our lives. But Lord, whatever it is that we can do, we can certainly all pray, carry burdens. But Lord, whatever else that might mean for us, that we would do it with joy. What a great joy and privilege it is to serve you Lord, I pray that tonight that each one of us would know in our hearts that we are valuable to you. And as we do at every service, we just don't assume that, that everyone here is a Christian. We pray that you are, and if you're out in a coffee shop, but if you're here and you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, we want to give you opportunity tonight. We want you to know that sin has separated you from God. But Jesus came to take care of the sin problem. He came the Son of God and died for you. He redeemed the world to himself so he can have the treasure, and that's you. The free gift of salvation, but it comes by you responding to the call and the invitation. That whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you believe in your heart the Lord Jesus and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, the promise of scripture is you will be saved. Because you see, Jesus not only died for your sins, he validated that and proved that, that, that he died for your sins as he defeated death. He rose from the grave three days later. He did, conquered death, and thus he conquered sin. And as the book of Hebrews says, that he died for your sins once and for all. All you have to do is open up your heart to him and confess that, Lord, that I know I can't save myself, and I need forgiveness of sin and be clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He loves you. Ask him into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior. You pray, Jesus, I believe that you died for me on Calvary's cross, 
that you're the Son of God. And I confess that I'm a sinner. And I turn to you now and I give my heart to you. And I pray that you would forgive me and be my personal Lord and Savior. And I also believe that you rose from the grave and you're alive because you're knocking on the door of my heart. And I open up my heart to you right now. And I believe in you. Help me to live for you all the days of my life. If you prayed that prayer, will you raise your hand tonight? Anybody at all tonight for the first time? If you're out in a coffee shop, will you raise your hand? Anybody at all? We just want to give anybody an opportunity coming to Christ for the first time. Father, we thank you for this night. And I pray that we would leave here encouraged and blessed. And Lord, again, that you would bless the rest of our week and the tasks that need to be done or the challenges that we face. Give us wisdom and, and decisions that need to be made. Strength and, and Lord, finishing the week. Keeping our eyes on you, Lord. Help us to run our race with endurance. And laying aside any weight of sin or that entangles us or weighs us down. And Lord, to live fully for you, bringing peace and joy into our lives. Again, we ask that you bless the children and we ask that you'd help us to bless our young people. That they would know that this is a place where they're loved. And Lord, that we would also appreciate everyone. I appreciate the older that are here, here and the, the gray hair that are willing to serve and and to give their wisdom and to be a blessing. And Lord, I thank you for this fellowship of believers that you've put together and the work that you're doing here. So we leave this place being thankful and rejoicing. Great things you have done. Take us all home safely. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you please?